Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Merry Christmas, at least in Sweden, where Fabian and I currently live. We know that it's actually Christmas tomorrow for most of our listeners from the US and the UK, but uh, consider this an early Merry Christmas from us. So Fabian, I'm going to kick this off on the deep end. Have you ever experienced racial, minorities or gender injustice? That is a a deep end question. I haven't personally experienced it. I understand and acknowledge that I am a white male and hence perhaps I have not been in any way victimized in that sense. Uh, I do, however, follow uh, what's going on in the world, and I'm aware that inequalities and justice exists everywhere in society. I love the work that is being conducted on, on different levels, and I'm hoping that we, through this episode, can help to bring about more awareness when it comes to racial inequalities within healthcare. Couldn't have put it better. And uh, yeah, we just need to acknowledge for this episode that we're We're in a position where we need to listen way more than we talk. And with that, uh, we're going to welcome Leanne Pirro from the UK. She's the founder of Black Women Rising. Welcome. Welcome, Leanne Pirro. Hi, everybody. Hi, how are you doing? Very, very good. Thank you for having me on the show. So glad to have you here. I I was just thinking, we met each other about a year ago, Leanne, in London. And a year ago feels like a lifetime ago, considering the whole pandemic and everything we've been through, right? Absolutely. It just feels like a lifetime away. So much has happened particularly in the cancer world. Yeah. So it's it's just brilliant that we're able to talk today. And you were about, I remember when we met, you were about to have an exhibition uh, yes. just around that time. Please tell yeah. us about, a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so that was, gosh, I remember, that was the first of many amazing things that have happened. Um, 
I basically, with my project, Black Women Rising, we hold an annual SCARS exhibition. So what we do is we get some volunteers to um, obviously just volunteer, come forward and, and show their scars left behind by cancer. And um, so we had 14 women basically exhibit their scars and their stories um, around that time when I saw you last time. So I was really busy getting up to that that event. So it was crazy because I was dealing with press and loads of other things that were happening. So it was such an exciting time. But it's really weird. Since that time, we've been commissioned to do the, the exhibition again. Great. <laughs> so <laughs> that's going to be something to look forward to next year. And even larger, perhaps? Yes, it will be larger, actually. So it's going to be great. Love it. Good stuff. But Leanne, please bring us back to when all of this started. I know you were diagnosed at the age of 30. Yes. How long ago was that and how did that came to be? Well, that was, gosh, that was four years ago. So I was diagnosed in October 2016, um, six months after my mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. Oh. And I've got six siblings so I've got you know there's there's seven of us all together from my mum's side and you know I'm one of those people I'm I've danced all my life I'm fit I'm healthy I've you know always looked after myself so the fact that I got that I got cancer out of all the girls in my family you know the first sibling at that age as well came as a complete shock to me but not just a complete shock to me but to my community as well you know, um, I've somebody that's done much, a lot of community work. So in in the past, and I've run a business for 20 years in the community, you know, my network is quite huge. So for when people heard that I had cancer, it was such a massive shock to everybody, um, particularly amongst the community that I'm part of, which is obviously the black community. Yeah. Where uh, talking about cancer isn't something that happens often. Um, hearing about people that have had cancer who are black is not something that's very common. So for me, um, that was like I was flying the flag for my community as being being this young woman with breast cancer at a really young age. And I felt very, very alone and isolated. And I just felt like, how the hell have I got cancer at 30? You know? Yeah. I think that is so very interesting. Can you... Try to explain why it's not common in the black community to talk about cancer. Well, it's just, you know, I, I believe I think part of the black and Asian community, I think cancer is one of those taboo subjects. You know, we're in our cultures, both the black African-Caribbean communities with the multi-different Asian uh, communities, you know, we're, we're sort of grown up where, you know, whatever's whenever there's a crisis or an illness, you keep that to yourself. You deal with it as a family. You don't talk out. You know, there's a lot of spiritual beliefs and lots of religion play a huge part in our culture. So um, any anything bad is seen as something that's not an act of God, you know. So those sort of things tend to, when there is something quite big, such as an illness or a disease, people have the views of, oh, you know, um, don't speak out about it. What we'll do is we'll deal with it in-house, you know, 
it it may be a religious reason why you've got that disease it might be it, it or you know the devil's coming or something like that and I found when I was going through cancer and I started to talk to other people these sort of issues came up time and time again people who were told not to take um, the life-saving drugs because you know they're not godly People that were told not to cut off their breasts and, you know, things that or have the operations that are going to save their life because God wouldn't want them to. You know, I even had a good friend of mine from the Asian community who was told, you know, to sleep with, um, you know, spices and things like that underneath her pillow and the cancer will go away. It sounds a bit like shamanism almost. I wouldn't even put it down to that because that's not something that I would put it down to. I would put it down to more around cultural beliefs and myths and taboos that have plagued the, uh, I think, the black and Asian communities for far too long and they're outdated you know, what may have worked for them, maybe centuries ago or whatever, does not work in this day and age. Having those beliefs do not work in this day and age. Being very closed and keeping things just to the family may have worked centuries ago, does not work now. Yeah. Um, and that's what my work is all about, is um, busting those um, myths and taboos and making cancer part of the everyday conversation. It is so interesting hearing you saying that with regards to, you know, I want to debunk the myths mm-hmm. uh, and almost coming at it from a sort of uh, these type of alternative angles and perspectives mm-hmm. are not something that I believe in. Mm-hmm. I want to move more towards conventional healthcare. Mm-hmm. Whilst you see another sort of movement, uh, I would say in general healthcare right now, where people are beginning to again look towards more sort of alternative ways of treating different illnesses, for instance, cancer. Yeah, definitely. When given all of this, Leanne, when you were diagnosed, how 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 were you diagnosed? Did you find out something about yourself, or did you was there any other problem that led you to go to the hospital, or what happened? In all honesty, because my mum had had it six months before me, and I was the one that sort of nursed her back to health, I was checking. You know, I was checking my breasts regularly and that's where I found a lump. And for me, that was where I went to my doctor and I said, well, look, I found this lump and I'm really, really worried about it. Um, and he sort of said, oh, don't worry. I just think you're being paranoid. Um, you know, you've just gone through a lot with your mum's diagnosis. You're too young. And that's what he said to me. Yeah. So I dismissed it for a few months and then I... Um, I dismissed it for a few months and then um, it didn't go away. And it was from a very good friend of mine who had also been diagnosed with breast cancer a few years before. She said, go and get it checked out. Um, And I went and then that's when they escalated it up. And then a couple of weeks later, that's when I was diagnosed. And you were diagnosed with stage three. So I mean, what could have happened if you didn't really push through? And you were very vocal about it, right? Because you knew what could have what could happen absolutely i mean i don't i don't like to think about the ifs buts and maybes but let's just say if i had left it only god knows if i'd be here having this conversation with you now so i think it's it's just so important that to anybody that's listening that if you find something and you're worried about it go and get it checked out because early detection saves lives just like me you know i think for me one of the things because i was able i was i was um uh, more experienced with cancer because my mum had 
had cancer twice one of the things for me which brought me a, a massive sense of relief was when you know I went in after a few scans and things to my doctor and and she turned around and she said you know don't worry you have primary breast cancer so that means it's early breast cancer um, and that means that it's treatable you know to some degree so for me that brought me a lot of satisfaction and only god knows if I'd gone in there a lot later you know yeah I want to talk. I want to talk more about this this entrepreneurial spirit of yours, and sort of <laughs> you and I have a very similar kind of background with yeah. regards to cancer. Very vocal, yeah. almost sort of turning it the whole cancer experience into a life's mission. Yeah, where where did that come from, and how do you think that's helped you throughout this journey? Um, so I've I set up a business when I was fifteen, not on purpose. I must I must say, um, I was. A victim of sexual abuse, a child sexual abuse victim. So I was sexually abused from the age of 10 to 13, um, which ended up with me leaving my family home. Um, so I became really independent at a really young age. And as I always say, when I was going for a really tough time um, in my teens, dance saved me. You know, dance really, really saved me. And dancing and teaching and choreographing became my outlet of expression. And so by the time I got to 15, I had started teaching dance classes to my community. And, you know, by the time I turned 16, 17, I was teaching a few classes a week. So that's that's where my business basically began, which is a dance company. And I it's a dance company, dance charity, actually, for young people in London. Um, and, you know, that, that entrepreneurial journey has not just been about business, but it's been about community. So that's what I like to say. I like to say to everyone that I'm almost like a community entrepreneur. You know, I've, I'm, I'm definitely about the business side of things, but my main aim is around, it's not about making loads of money. It's about giving back to the community and, and helping people because, you know, it was the community that helped me yeah. um, when I was so young going through things. And, what I tell you, what I really realised when I got to my cancer diagnosis, and at the time I was, you know, 15 years into the business, was those same tools that I learned through business, just resilience, being positive, uh, being, um, you know, sort of being organised and creating a plan and, you know, just sort of, you know, those sort of tools really, really helped me when it came to my diagnosis. Yeah. I found I was able to kind of use that resilience to things and to, to kind of bad news and be able to turn it around, you know? Yeah, but I, I, I hear you. Like going through cancer is like a project. You need a, you need yeah, a project it plan. Was, it's yeah. like, okay, this is my strategy. This is my diet. This is my mental health strategy and all these things. It became a bit like that for me. It became almost like a project. But the what it did was well was I took a year out, you know. I took a year off just to focus on my health. Um, and that was um, that was a massive thing for me in terms of transforming my mindset about where I was going to go after the diagnosis. Because obviously, like yourself, Fabian, you know, it changed our lives, yeah. the diagnosis. And I, I had a different what I wanted to do before. It completely changed after um, my illness. You know, Yeah, please elaborate a bit on the transformation. I think for me, what really transformed was my mindset um, and how I looked at life after cancer going seeing my mum go through it and then you know not even having much breathing space and then going through it myself made me realize I'd almost had 
<laughs> two years of cancer being really prevalent in my life and just seeing how me and my mum had come out the other end made me first and foremost very very grateful for the small things in life mm. you know because I think when you're so unwell um, one of the things that really got me through each day was looking for really really small things to be thankful for okay I've got cancer and I may have lost my breasts and I've lost my hair and all of these other things I lost but I'm still here I'm still you know being able to breathe I've I've still got a warm home and bed and this is the luxuries that many people don't have yeah. so in that sense it made me center myself to see actually how lucky I was out of something so bad but then it also um, transformed my um, sense of purpose what am I here to do okay I've gone through this now um should I am I going to go through these experiences hear these things what's going on in my community in regard to people's myths and taboos and seeing all these women struggling um you know am I going to walk away from this experience and not do anything or am I going to do what one of my oncologists says as I was nearing the end of chemo and she said to me you need to go back to your community and tell them that chemo isn't as bad as you think as they think it is because I get women in here all the time refusing the drugs um, from your community so please go out there and, and let them know and spread the word um, and so that was something that really stayed on my mind and was something that I really wanted to do. I, well, I Goosebumps, <laughs> honestly, Leanne. I, there's so many things. I'm, yeah. I'm, you're connecting to uh, to me in so many ways, oh, what, what you're saying. Yeah. And, you yeah. guys are really on the same level. Yeah. Yes. Well, we are. We, we know that anyway from our last conversation yeah. anyway. Definitely yeah. similar, isn't it? Very similar. But I must say, it sounds almost like this transformation happened instantly for you versus for me. It took uh, it, it took some time for me to to learn and really embrace this new purpose and life's mission of mine. But for me, it feels almost like you mm. almost at day one just felt this is my thing. Mm. Or Do you know what, Fabian? I know it sounds like that, but it really wasn't. You know what really happened? When I got diagnosed, I was in so much shock for... I would like to say, I would say probably about a month. Um, some people around me would say it was longer, but I remember for a month, I honestly had never, I'd never felt as bad as I did for that month. I felt ashamed of having cancer at 30. I felt, uh, I, I almost felt my life was over. I didn't want to be here anymore. They couldn't get me to eat because I was in so much shock because I kept having panic attacks and things. I couldn't eat, so I was I couldn't eat for nine days. And I remember they put me on their, uh, I like to call it the worry list, but they put me on their list to um, that they need to look out for me because I was so fragile. I was going to the scans, not having energy, any energy to have some of the scans because obviously they inject you with dye and things. I was going to these scans and almost fainting with shock. Yeah. They couldn't. And I remember you know that that feeling there of feeling like that for that month for me was what really traumatized me after my treatment 
you know, I went into really bad depression after my treatment. And it was that worry and anxiety that I'd been kind of keeping at bay. It all came after my chemo and after the doctors and nurses went away. And I think my sense of purpose came once I managed to even start to begin to understand why that happened, you know? And, and this is, were you informed about the potential depression that you were going through, no, the trauma, not the at all. PTSD? Not at all. And this is infuriating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what you're experiencing, and, and you know, we talked about trauma, PTSD yeah. the last time we spoke, and, you know, yeah. a typical result of being traumatized is that initial shock phase yeah. uh, for for you not to get information and resources and under, be, being educated about this yeah. is infuriating yeah it was really infuriating um i was quite infuriated at many things i think even like i didn't understand about that there was even services out there for a girl of my age you know i didn't know that there was charities and things like that that could help me i didn't have a clue and um you know, not even hearing about all the different resources and things like that that were that would have been able to support me very much so through my treatment. Not hearing about anything like this is just absolutely infuriated me. Um and there, and I never got a reason why, you know? It 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 just seemed like for me that their services were so stretched out, you know, or or I don't even I, I can't even comprehend you know, some of the struggles I had afterwards and which is obviously now running the charity that I do, realising how many people also are struggling it, with it too. Um, and, and we're not ever told about this. We're not even ever, you know, uh, warned that this may come or that there's services out there. If this does happen to you, there's services out there to help you. Nothing. And you're really highlighting an important thing here. Just listening to this conversation, Fabian says that it feels like you didn't struggle mm. and i think when people see fabian's story and hear about fabian's story yeah of course it doesn't seem like he struggled either but and, and i think this is sort of the this is sort of the fallacy yeah. that yeah. we humans have we look at success i know and we don't really understand the struggle behind it but everybody struggles i have actually been talking about this all week because do you know <laughs> i've i've i do a lot of things and a lot of things that i do are fantastic and they that they're great brilliant opportunities but what a lot of people see is is it looks glamorous you know i make it the hard work look good and i tell you people automatically assume that you're not struggling that everything's great and life's perfect and they couldn't be further from the truth you know so this and then and then you know if you if you wanted to turn around and say actually no actually i'm really struggling you know then people would assume oh you know you're successful this that there's this you know this is great and and i think that this we need to get out of that we need to get out of that it's the same when people are going through cancer and they may have you know they may be going through private treatment you know and they're made to feel bad because they've got private treatment it doesn't mean just because someone's got private treatment that they're not <laughs> suffering like everybody else i know millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's this assumption, you know? Yeah, and just because you might look back at your journey with gratefulness doesn't mean that you didn't suffer through the journey. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, because a lot of people ask me all the time, and I say to them, well, I'm very thankful for my cancer journey and I wouldn't change it for the world because my mindset's changed and I live a lot more of a happier life now and, I'm, and I've got a better understanding. I'm, a more, I'm more self-assured than I ever have been. So I wouldn't take it back for the world. And so many people say, don't say that, don't say that, you know. And I said, well, it's the truth. And I think it because I say that, people think that I didn't suffer. Well, actually, it was the worst time of my life. I would never want to go back there, as I'm sure you would agree as well, Fabian. But we have used it to make a change, you know. Yes, through that darkness. Absolutely. Uh, something was born and, and started growing. Absolutely, absolutely. Leanne, um Talking not about a different subject, and you have to stop me if I'm sort of saying this in the wrong way, but I I think it's relevant to hear either way. So, like, from my point of view, I don't see that we have racists or anything like that. I think it's so very strange. I would like to live in a world where everybody's just considered human, right? Of course, yeah. Uh, And you're sitting here with two white guys from Sweden talking about (laughs) your journey through cancer. And you're the founder of Black Women Rising. So, I mean, we're obviously here to learn as well. So teach us, why is Black Women Rising important? So Black Women Rising is really important because, you know, particularly where I'm from in the UK, when I was going through treatment, um, I didn't see many pictures or stories of young black women going through cancer. You know, there was none of this. And I felt that if I had someone to relate to um, or even be able to reach out to or whatever, or even to understand that actually, you know, it's quite normal for somebody to have cancer from the black community. You know, even if I had that, I would have, it would have brought me a lot of ease. I wouldn't say it would have completely, you know, give me ease but and if I saw more examples of people surviving cancer for my community particularly young women then for me again that would have helped so much and so when I was meeting many women on the ward um, when I was going through it um, our stories echoed each other you've got cancer too 
Wow, I haven't seen another black woman with cancer. You look so young. I'm young too. There was this kind of familiarity. But we all echoed the same stories. We do not see it enough. We're not seeing it enough. Um, so then afterwards, when I started to blog around my cancer journey and put it out there and let my community know that, you know what, cancer is here and I'm, I, I wasn't excluded, so that means that you're not either. Um, one of the big charities uh, in the UK picked up on one of my blogs and they published it on their site. And um, I always say about this, within hours of that blog being published, I was contacted by so many women, um, black women, uh, Asian women, all different types of women, echoing my story. And they began to share a lot of their own stories. And these stories were quite as I said before, quite horrific. So some of the women had been told, you know, you can't come to a family function because we don't want to scare the children. You know, God will cure your cancer. Don't take um, the chemo. Cancer isn't a black disease. You know, black people don't get cancer. Uh, and these unhelpful things these women were, were obviously getting. So I said to myself, OK, well, look, I was talking to her about... 12 women at the time, I remember different women that kept messaging me, asking me for advice and all this sort of stuff. So I turned around and I said, why don't we all get together and have a chat? So I organised a chat in my office in Peckham in London. And everybody, well, not everybody, we had about eight women. But I tell you something, that meeting of just that eight women from the black and Asian community was, uh, you know, no one left with a dry eye. You know, and for many women, it was the first time they got to talk about their cancer freely in a space where they felt comfortable and they felt they could relate. And for me, that was where the project started, because that still now is the heart of the project, our peer to peer, regular meeting up and support groups where we talk about all these things. And there's relation because we're from the same cultures or from very similar cultures. Um and then that's when we've sort of added in other projects. So we've got the exhibition, the Scars exhibition, which people get to tell their stories as well. And we've now got the wonderful Black Women Rising magazine, which is obviously was launched on, you know, daytime television in the UK and is now available for people to order online for free. So we've managed to fundraise lots of money to be able to run our projects. And this project is so important because we need these stories heard. Since this project's been launched, uh, I've been working with brands and charities to increase their diversity around their cancer campaigns. We've managed to get some of our women involved in, you know, huge brands in their cancer campaigns. People are now diversifying the messaging around cancer. And this is what we wanted. You know, I get lovely messages all the time and I get messages from young girls saying, oh, thanks to you, I've checked my breasts. You know, I had a woman from the, a young girl from the United States message me, 22 years old. You know, I have no one to look up to and I found you. You know, she's 22 years old. She's from the States. You know, I've had um, cancer organisations from Africa, cancer organisations from America contact me. How are you doing what you're doing? Let us know. We would love to be involved because people can see that we are creating our own platform. And why it was really important for us to create our own platform is because I remember being told this, actually, when I said to people, I was talking to a good friend of mine and I said, oh, you know, there's not this out there for black people. We're not seeing enough black women involved in these campaigns. And they said to me, 
Leanne, you do know in this country, the BAME community, so the Black and Asian community, is very small, is a small minority, you know, of people from this country are actually from the Black community. Um, so they said, you know, they have to represent the majority. And I said, OK, that's absolutely fine. And I get that. But guess what? I'm going to create my own platform. So that's exactly what I've done with Black Women Rising. It's not about races against each other. It's nothing to do with that. Most of the people that fund our programmes, most of the people that sit behind the projects and are really driving the driving force of the projects are non-black. You know, they're white people, they're, you know, Asian people, they're all different types of people. But, you know, there's there's not about race. What it is, is about making these women from our community feel empowered make them feel that they've got other people that they can talk to and they can create a buddy system with relatable um, uh, familiarity okay and that is what it's all about and that's what the project is about you know very beautifully put yeah i love uh, it thank you uh so leanne what's the end goal here for us uh, for our company it is if if i were to put it we want to try and solve the mental health problem when it comes to cancer what is your end goal? When when do you when does Leanne say, "Okay, I'm done. I'm I've completed my mission." Um, mm, I don't know. I've not thought about that to be honest. I think for me, where I really want to get to, where I know that I'll be able to say yes, is when I start to see the char- the cancer charities and the cancer services and the people in charge of our care in cancer. Um, uh, where I where I where I feel that they are inclusive enough and they all have understanding around our cu- cultural needs, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, for me, the big thing. You know, I speak to cancer charities all the time and I say to them, you know, I'm not here to duplicate your work because it's too much for me. And plus, you know, you're the one who gets the millions of pounds every year and the huge donations. I don't have the resource. You have the resource to do the work. Um, and I said, I would love to get to a point where the people that I work with feel no way coming to access your services and feel very welcome and they know that their needs are going to be catered for because at the moment that's the problem they're not you know we've got black women you know not feeling comfortable going on some of the courses or some of the um, health mental health programs that some of the charities are running why because they go on these programs and there is nobody there that looks like them yeah. And that's not just what happens. They go on these courses. So I'll tell you uh, many stories I've heard. But one of the stories is, you know, them going on to a mental health course, you know, for, for patients after cancer and them being the only black person. And guess what? Out of the room full of 30, not one person wanted to talk to this woman or involve this woman in their conversation. That's horrific. And also she was sitting in the room because she decided to go outside of London for this course, you know, and people kept staring at her as if she shouldn't be there. Now, as a person who grew up in a small uh, country um, town um, in Norfolk, which is, uh, you know, the east of England, I know what that feels like. I know what racism feels like. And I think that that's one of the big things that I want to be able to um, help is get these charities and these organisations to understand some of our experiences, which thankfully this year, because of Black Lives Matter and things like that, people are more open to listen, but also be able to um, educate as to what our needs are and where they can go from here. You know, 
I'm not into the whole... I know there's a lot of people going around blaming and saying, oh, you know, you haven't done this right and you haven't done this right. I'm not really into that. I'm into, all right, the past of the past. Let's educate. Let's make a plan and let's move on. You yeah. Know? And it really comes down to, uh, from one perspective, culture, absolutely. But it comes down to education, right? It does. Yeah, I think it comes down to education. Um, and just being mindful that everybody's different and everyone has different needs. You know, um, one of the things that really worried me was when um, people were going into their um, to their appointments and they were the only person in their family that's ever been um, uh, diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And they didn't know the cancer's never been in their family before. And they're going in and because they're asking so many questions and because they don't understand and because obviously, you know, they don't want to worry their family so they haven't told anybody they're worried and they're stressed out and they're going in and the consultant is marking them down as a difficult patient because they're asking so many questions and because they're worried and they're expressing it in a way that you know they might the the, the consultants might not be used to but they're being marked down as difficult you know as a difficult patient with a little bit of understanding if the doctor knew perhaps some of the things that that person might up be up against maybe that person's patient experience may have been different you know and that's what it comes down to education uh, i'm i'm 100% with you i'm going to ask my last question sure. this might be a question that is i'm not exactly sure how to phrase it in a good way but you know Hearing you talk about um, community the way you do, hearing yeah. you talk about people of color the way you do, is quite uh, foreign to me, being yeah, of, of another ethnicity. I've never been a victim of racism in that sense, uh, and I cannot in any way begin to grasp uh, that experience. However, what I do think, and I want to jack into what Seb said yeah. earlier on, meaning uh, we're hoping for a future, I think everybody can agree a future where th things such as race doesn't really exist we're just looking at people in the terms of humans and yes. humanity uh where do you see if we bring it back to your sort of future goal when you lay down uh, the work what do you see happening to the BAME community do you see that still existing uh or do you see that sort of gradually being bridged together uh, with with sort of other races? Sorry if, if I'm phrasing yeah, this in a weird way. No, it of course, I totally understand. Where I'm used to talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll be honest. So we, we we're trying to come away from the word BAME now. I don't know if you know, but yeah, that that word BAME has become quite offensive to many people. So. Um, I know that that word is, is just not acceptable anymore to use amongst many communities. And I know the cancer community is coming in thick and fast. I keep getting told off for using that word. Um, so we just, we're just identifying people for who they are. So I always say the black community or the Asian community or whatever. So you're, you're free to say that. And I think for me, yes, I'm going to be totally honest with you because I am a realist. I think that this is going to be around. In an ideal world, it would be great if we could have all everyone all as one. But unfortunately, that's going to take a lot of work that we probably, I, I know that I won't see that in our, my lifetime. You know, all we can do is continue to champion 
um, these stories, work with brilliant organisations like yourself. You know, we we work together. I, you know, you're you're one of many other organisations we're working with where we stand united on the same aim and goal to unite together and to help people feel better about their cancer diagnoses. And I think the more things we do together, the more examples we show of this together, the more together we will be. And I think we can fly the flag for that. I love that. And I think it's important to do that, you know, and also get these stories heard. One of the things I'll be honest with you, you know, um, and I think this is becoming a common trend is that when black people or Asian people or whatever talk about racism and talk about their experiences, you know, people... Uh, from other communities, particularly the white community, feel a sense of, um, you know, uh, either blame or they're being blamed or, oh, you know, um, I don't know why they're still going on about their stories and I'm not racist, it doesn't include me. Well, actually, you know, what might be something small to you and just because you're not involved in it doesn't mean that there aren't people out there like that. And I think the more people start talking about how horrifically they've been treated, I think the more healing can be done and more educating can be done around being sensitive to different people's needs. You know, like me personally, if I could educate your listeners, um, particularly if it's quite a large white audience that you're listening to, you know, that listen to the podcast, would be small things to educate them on, you know, um, making people, you know, the, the art of a, of, a, of a smile, you know, when you see somebody of colour, you know, around you or, or stuff like that can make people feel welcome. I've travelled many places in Europe and got the worst racial abuse ever. So not being funny, but there's lots of places in Europe I will not travel to. You know, um, I've been invited to talk and things like that in different places and I won't go because I've been treated so badly in these countries. So there's just so much to be said about our experiences of people of colour in general. And I think it's going to take a lot of work. And I think through cancer, what I've realised, although I'm here to help people through cancer and help people in the mental health, what I'm actually realising is that, you know, people that are getting the magazine are people that have nothing to do with cancer, people that just want to educate themselves around black people and their stories um, and the black culture. People really want to educate themselves. And I've allowed everybody to access this magazine because if we're allowed, if we're doing that at the same time, tackling issues of racism and talking about things, I think that that for me is, is a great, is a great addition to my work. <laughs> we're super happy to be part of the magazine as well and to be oh, in collaboration. thank you so much. Absolutely. Very thankful for your input into the magazine. And I'll send you out some copies. Uh, please yeah, do. Please do, please do. Yes. And I mean, it's really about, we, we need to start listening to each other. Yes. Uh, I think that that's such a, such a huge problem in today's world where yeah. uh, we think that we know stuff and we just anticipate and assume things instead of actually listening to people that have lived through their own experiences. And the thing with cancer as well is that it doesn't discriminate, right? No. So why should we? Absolutely. Uh, I'm just wondering here, like I want want to see how we can work more closely together. We don't need to brainstorm in this podcast, but like we definitely need to keep in contact because I think we do, we as a company need to listen to people like you that have experience that we don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Inside of the company right now. Yeah. How is your mom doing, by the way? 
Oh, she's great. <laughs> she's yeah. great, thriving. Yeah, she's thriving. <laughs> so, you know, she's had two cancer diagnoses and she's she's here to still tell the tale. And she's very, yeah, very happy and excited about all the things that I'm doing, even though she says she doesn't ever want to be involved. But uh, <laughs> yeah. she says she's, you know, behind the scenes championing me. So that's great. But But do we have any message that we want to bring to all of our listeners? Something like... How can listeners to this podcast episode be part of the change? I think for me, one of the big things I want the listeners to take away from from this podcast is that everybody's story is valid. Um, and just because you have no relatability to it doesn't mean that um, that, that that story you know, doesn't mean a lot. And I think for me, it's about listening to people and listening to others and just understanding that people of colour are not different than everybody else. You know, we're all the same. Um, we're humans. And I think for me, that's been one of the biggest problems is that I've seen that there's this huge divide because everyone thinks that they're different, but they're not, you know, and particularly in the cancer world, my God, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> there is no discrimination. You know, you're all in this together. And that art of togetherness is important. So if you've never, ever connected with a person of colour before or you're curious to know, reach out, you know, and you don't know what you could be doing for that person. Because for a very long time, we've been excluded from many narratives, many groups, um, and our stories are, are valid, you know. Leanne, thank you so much for sharing your story uh, and for giving us the opportunity to listen in to something that we aren't haven't been fully aware of until now, I would argue. You are absolutely welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. And a happy holidays. Thank you. you know, Merry Christmas Merry and Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry Christmas too. to all of our listeners. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. See you next year. Happy New Year as well. Bye. was a very educational episode and a very nice chat with Leanne, I have to say. Yeah, I totally agreed. I learned so much on this episode and I'm really thankful that uh, Leanne came here and, and participated in the podcast. I also hope that you listeners uh, learned a lot. There's a big move and, and we need to all strive towards unifying the world. Indeed, and I think two lessons that I'm just going to keep with me is that we need to start listening more to each other and just feel it in our hearts that everybody is humans. Definitely, and with that, we're coming up to a close of the second season of the War on Cancer podcast. Thank you, all of our listeners. We hope that you've enjoyed these episodes with us, obviously, and of course, we're coming back with a third season and would love to hear your feedback, suggestions on topics or guests for us to invite. Yeah, and a big thank you and a shout out to all of our guests during the year. Without you, this wouldn't have been possible. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody.
even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.